during the game? The Big Sports Show starts now. Hey, let's do this. Here's Brendan Weesey on the Big 550 KTRS. Let's do it. It's the big sports show on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ben Fredrickson, a busy Tuesday evening continues. We'll talk soccer in the 8 o'clock hour. Soccer in the Lou. Head coach for City 2, Bobby Murphy, will be along. Matt Baker will join me. City's got another exhibition game tomorrow against LAFC. We'll talk some college hoops. We'll talk some baseball this hour. As I say, a big hi and hello to Ben Fredrickson. Good evening, sir. Good evening, my man. What's going on? Not much. Good to uh, good to chat here on this Tuesday night. It's been a nice weather week. That's going to continue for folks uh, through Friday, if you like the warm weather, before we start to fall back down to reality and, and get back to winter, it sounds like, next week. But I want to start the show tonight, Ben, with a tremendous column that you've got up right now at stltoday.com. Folks, I believe, can find it in the pages of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And for some folks, they may not have been tuned into the story. If they don't, I don't know. I don't I don't want to throw us under the bus here, but I may have to. For folks that don't live on social media or live on Twitter, we kind of have to because of our jobs, Ben, that we probably spend more time on a place like Twitter than we'd like. But you found something that was living and breathing on Twitter from what happened on, uh, I guess it was late last week, at DeSmet Jesuit High School that deserved the attention and the positive vibes that it was picking up on social media. And you just got to love a story like this. And, Ben, it reminds us why we like sports and what sports can mean to folks as opposed to generally the stories that we hear and and talk about, whether it's about money, mostly about money, that just makes sports sometimes talking about uh, a bit of a drag. But that's not the case with this story. The fresh young freshman at DeSmet, and the whole thing, it's just a really cool story about what's going on at DeSmet, a cool program that they have. And what happened at the uh, at a pep rally, Ben? Why don't you explain? Yeah, well, thank you, and thanks for highlighting it. I, I appreciate it, and getting the chance to talk about this cool young man. Aiden Haddikin is a 14 year old freshman at Desmet, and he's not on the basketball team, but he loves basketball. And Aiden is unique um, in in more ways than one. He's the first ever um, student in Desmet's inclusive program that they started this year that the school year that allows um, kids with um, certain developmental and physical disabilities to be able to um, attend DSMET and be in the general education classrooms. And Aiden um, has Down syndrome and he loves sports. He loves basketball. His parents played soccer and he is uh, he has really had an awesome freshman season, freshman year in school at DeSmet. So it's a it's it's a really cool thing that DeSmet's doing. It allowed yes. Aiden to stick with his classmates from Incarnate Word, and he gets to go to school with all of his friends that he was with um, throughout his education. So that would be a cool story in 
in and of itself. Exactly. Um, yep. It got a little cooler Friday morning when um, folks who are familiar with, uh, you know, with with some of this stuff in the high school scene will know that you know the, this met has a what's called a mission week, and it's a spirit week more or less, and it's to raise you know funds for various causes. And kind of the the crescendo of this mission week is this senior basketball scrimmage that takes place during school, and the whole uh, school goes into the gym and watches the seniors scrimmage. And uh, at the halftime of that, there's a half court uh, shot challenge where you throw a dollar in and then you get to attempt a half court shot. And Aiden, 14 year old Aiden, who was the last person, well, I don't know if he was supposed to be the last person, but he ended up being <laughs> the last person. He gets up to go shoot his shot. And uh, the reason that I kind of, came across this i think most people saw it probably around the same time as desmet sent out this video and what i noticed immediately immediately was the desmet basketball coach who i know from back in my days covering tennessee kent williams who was a great player at carbondale and has coached at tennessee and 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 in lots of places including siue he's now the desmet coach and great guy and I, I saw him hand the ball to Aiden and then uh, Aiden's pumping the crowd up and he he just nails this half court shot I mean straight swish no yep. backboard no rim no bounce which is awesome but as his dad says in the column what's even better is the students just go absolutely bananas you think they won the lottery and they swarm the court and it's this great scene and I thought you know this is something that I think the video has gone St. Louis viral as it should. He's been on all the TV stations. I'm certainly not the first one to to tell this story and, and shouldn't be and won't be. And, and, and the more the merrier. This is one that's good for everybody. Everybody should have it. Um, but I thought there's got to be a, a bigger story behind this. So I call Kent and he says, you know, what's crazy is Aiden makes that shot a lot. And turns out Aiden practices this shot. He goes to the gym by himself during his gym time. And Kent Williams happened to be the only other person who'd seen Aiden make this shot. And <laughs> that's what he tells him before the shot goes in is pretend pretend like you're in the gym by yourself. So he can't thank his family enough for trusting me to tell it and and, and talking and and Coach Williams and and DeSmet, who made you know everybody available. But I really want to c- commend DeSmet for for doing this program because yep. as Aiden's dad says, this is exactly why, why they wanted to, to do this. And this is exactly what you want in a program like this is for, is, is for this to be something a young man like Aiden can experience. And his dad was a high level soccer player at SLU. He actually met his wife and, and Aiden's mom there. They're both SLU soccer players. And, you know, he, he's very much the type of dad. He wants to thrust his son into everything, you know, normal as much as possible. And he would not, he does not like the idea of kind of grooving things for Aiden or making things easier. And he said, and he's right. What he liked about it is everybody was shooting the same shot. Right. And everybody was missing. And then Aiden (laughs) steps up and and, and cans it, which was, uh, which was just really cool. And the student's reaction was great. And you echoed it, I think perfectly in, in the start here. It's one of those stories that for me makes me step back and say, okay, yeah, we got to break down the games. We got to break down the contracts. We got to, and then there's room for all of that. Yep. And I'm not dismissing it, but when you get a chance to 
step outside of that and say, this is why we love sports. Um, it was a chance to do that. And, and I like when I get those chances. Well, you did a great job of, again, telling the backstory, which we've all seen the video and all the, as you mentioned, all the news stations had the video, but I don't think we had the backstory and you illustrated it perfectly. And it shows that this is an incredible moment for Aiden. And when something like this happens, it becomes a great moment for the school, for the student body, for Coach Williams, for their basketball team, for everybody involved. This becomes a celebration for DeSmet. And kind of difficult for a CBC guy to say that, right? I mean, what a moment. <laughs> what a moment for that school. And to uh, to have that happen and, uh, as you mentioned, see all the kids rally around him, uh, that's, you know, that's a – pretty formative age ben and i think we all know and, and we grew up and and uh we were we were kids at uh, one point or another and kids around that age can be um what's a nice way to say it mean right so i i think sure. it does a great job to highlight what they're doing at Desmet, and also i think you you talk about in the story he's got junior and senior uh, mentors that are help, helping him along, young Aiden, with some of his academics. So kudos to those young men. Kudos to DeSmet for having a program. I believe they've got two students currently. And I had just read about this program a couple of weeks back. I saw it show up on on one of my on on my Twitter timeline and thought, well, wow, that's a pretty cool thing that DeSmet is doing. And and then to see. Uh, Aiden hit that shot last week. There's just there's um, a tip of the cap to go around to a lot of folks that maybe and again, uh, it's tremendous because it highlights that program Ben where maybe it it wouldn't have gotten the attention without Aiden's heroics last week. So more and more people are going to hear uh, about what they're doing at Desmet and it and it deserves a light to be shined on it. Yeah, and I think you know. It's uh, it's unique in that Dismet was, I think, the first school of uh, of its kind to to have a program like right, this, and right. hopefully, maybe it opens other places' eyes to considering considering it. And one thing that you heard talking to administrators, um, Coach Williams, Aiden's Aiden's family, you know, this starts out, and it's, it was the same way for Aiden and his family at Incarnate Word. It starts out as the family is so thankful to be given the opportunity and to be included. And then it turns into the school is so thankful that Aiden's there yep, um, yep. and that the students who are helping him from class to class are, are learning as much, if not more from him than he, than, than they're teaching him. And if you've been able to been blessed enough to interact with someone who has down syndrome, it's uh, they are, they are oftentimes some of those peer people you'll ever meet. Um, they're genuine. There's, they're smiling. they, see the good in everybody and they, they they literally can brighten up a room when they walk into it and that's been my experience I think that's been DeSmet's experience and um, you know Aiden is the first to give out high fives in the hallway he's he's the biggest fan at the the basketball games who knows maybe there'll be a role for him on the basketball team moving forward in some way I don't know if he can be the ringer who comes in after ever down three in a in a half-court shot situation but point point is he he will do more for DeSmet than DeSmet will do for him and DeSmet will do a lot for him. But that's, that's what this young man 
and 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 those like him are capable of and and I think everybody in that school will be better because he's there. So um, it was a fun fun story to write. It's one of those ones that you 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 make a couple calls and then you just sit down and write it fast because it's too good. You just got to not mess it up and you yeah. just get out of the way and let it tell itself. And uh, and the cool thing about it is he's he's not. Uh, I've had some people ask, is he alarmed by the attention or did he handle the court storming well was that a lot of a lot for him and his dad said no he, he pretty much loves all of it he <laughs> thinks he's a celebrity because he's been on tv um, so he's yeah. he's getting a kick out of that but um, it was a fun one to tell and and i think a nice nice change of pace maybe for the sports section which it's our job to, to try to find once in a while 100 people can find that right now at today.com pages of the post dispatch check it out find the video i, I, I imagine there's a link to the video on on the there story is. ben yep. And, and thanks to Dismet for letting us use that too, by the way, because um, that was nice of them. Because you got to see the video. The, yep, the story is one thing, but yep. you really got to see the video. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. So really cool. Glad you could, uh, glad you could put that story out there for everybody, Ben. And a great way to start our show tonight. And we'll, you know, shift gears a little bit, talk some baseball here because. Starting to get to that time, Ben. In fact, a week from tomorrow, spring training gets underway. Pitchers and catchers. Why well, should say pitchers and catchers reporting? I think. A week from tomorrow, we'll have the full squad workout, then the following Monday. But now we start to get to that point where little things will start to trickle out, Ben, like projections, like the Pocota projections are always kind of a rite of spring. That, all right, what what do the Pocota analytical projections, baseball prospectus, they've used these for a long, long time to project the upcoming season. And the Pocota projections, which historically – Never really liked the Cardinals, and it's not to say they love the Cardinals now, but Ben Pakota's got the Cardinals at 85 wins, National League Central Division champs. Yeah, if I told you in previous years that the Cardinals would be slated for 85 wins, folks would say, well, that's not going to be enough, but (laughs) it very well could be enough in this edition of the National League Central. Um, Atlanta projected to win the NL East with 100 wins. Um, the Dodgers projected to win the NL West with 101. And you've got uh, St. Louis projected to win the Central with 85, which would be if this holds, which we know it won't because you can't make this stuff up on paper, but it's always an interesting conversation starter. If it holds, they would be winners by about five games over the Chicago Cubs. And um, that would be the lowest win total, if correct, of any division in baseball. Um, I think the other lowest is the AL Central. They've got that projected with Minnesota at 88, AL East 94, the Yankees, AL West 95, Houston. Um, Texas is projected to be a second-place finishing team that would have more wins than the first-place Cardinals. Same for Toronto and Baltimore, second, third, Tampa, fourth in the AL East. Um, and uh, it kind of jumps out. Arizona projected 85 wins um, as a second-place team. The Cardinals projected 85 as division winners. So I think it speaks to what we know, and the Cardinals, I think, have had a really solid offseason. I also think they're benefiting from being in a division that is, I wouldn't say rudderless, but uh, it's it's lacking teeth. It's It's got uh, blunted teeth, and the team that won it last year, Milwaukee, just – traded their ace and apparently is willing to at least hear offers on on an influential player Willie Ademez as well so um, it's not exactly a division that is as competitive as some you're going to find that's what jumped out to me yeah Brewers look to be just breaking that thing down I know Ademez is is set to 
get a major pay raise at the end of the year. So they're moving on from him. And in fact, the guy they brought back that Ortiz from Baltimore might be their future shortstop, might be their third baseman this year as they're in, I don't know about cost-cutting mode would be the way to describe it, but they're certainly not as in play as we've seen the Brewers be the last few years, and and the, their pitching has just taken a massive hit. So yeah, Cardinals right here, right right at the at the top of of the Pakota projections. And I look at the Cardinals depth chart, Ben, and you and you try to compare it to the rest of the division, and I look at it and I say, golly, I love this lineup. I love this everyday lineup. And it's something you highlighted a lot last year. You know, the Cardinals' offense up and down, not really the problem with this team, although they, it's been an issue for a long time. The consistency, the, the, they've got this ability to go on long slumps as, 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 a, as an entire offense that tend to bring the, uh, the, the, brings the ball club down a little bit. But I'm looking up and down at this lineup, Ben, and I say, yeah, the Cardinals should be the favorites in the division. But then I stop for a moment and say, yeah, how did this team finish dead last last year? How could they possibly have been the last place team in the NL Central? And it's sort of the same, same cast of characters, better pitching, clearly at least more defined pitching than maybe you had a year ago. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty easy for me to say, write the Cardinals down in your first place position in the National League Central Division. But reality will set in that why why was last year so bad and what makes me so confident that they completely turn it around and go from dead last to first place? That To me, that's also asking a lot, I think, even if, even if I think this team is built to do it. Yeah, I think, and it's, I hate to be the guy who's like, you asked about the offense, let me talk about the pitching, um, because the offense is a fair thing to to look at. I, I think, honestly, this offense, whether it will admit it or not, or whether it even knew it or not, was at times feeling like it was maybe like running a marathon in that weighted vest that you see yeah, people train yeah. in, or that parachute behind them. I, I think this won't please the... Um, the people who only want to have a number on things. And and I'm sometimes one of those people. So I get that. I, I think it's a mental drag to not have a chance to hit until you're down by three runs. Um, I, I think it's a mental drag to feel like your offense is always trying to have to catch up before it can and take a lead. Um, if you're in the third inning trailing, that wears you out over the course of 162 game season. And I think that this offense dealt with that a lot last year. I think it's part of the reason the Cardinals were not one of these teams that did any damage on in the base running game. They were constantly trailing. Um, and it's hard. It, it's not as advantageous to run um, and try to steal bases when a, you can't get on base and B you're, you're chasing significant leads. You're not tied and you're not leading, trying to extend the lead or you're not within one where that run is hugely important. You're down, you know, you're, you need home runs at that point you're chasing. Um, so I, I think that was part of it. I think also, um, you know, there was still some some young guys figuring it out. You know, the Jordan Walkers and, and Nolan Gormans, and then I think you got to You can't look too far at how this offense could have been better, but wasn't, without taking a long look at the season Nolan Arenado had. Um, he wasn't the biggest problem, but if you didn't follow, if you if you if you flush from memory all the pitching problems and all of the drama, Tyler O'Neill. 
you know, whether was he running hard enough and Wilson Contreras, was he going to be have his position changed or not? Um, you look at just the numbers of guys who produced and didn't, or guys who didn't meet the waterline of their career numbers, and it's hard to it's hard to overlook the fact that that Nolan Arenado went from a third place MVP finisher in his age thirty one season to to a guy who had you know one of his second lowest career OPS in in his age thirty two season. Um, he had the worst production that we'd seen from him since the final season in Colorado when he was kind of through an injury and everybody was concerned about what his future was going to be. There was clearly a lot of stress and burden there. He had a 738 OPS that year. He had a 774 by the end of last season. And not that it was, it was under paid attention to. He, we knew he was struggling, but the numbers make it stand out quite a bit. I mean, this guy went from being a, you know, an 891 OPS guy one year to a 774 the next as a key and critical hitter in this lineup. So that, that, that this, what is this, what did last season look like? If, if Nolan has something close to the year he had the year before, or even just a career average year, I don't know that they would have been a playoff team, but they probably wouldn't have been a last place team. I know you're telling me the projections, Ben, don't love Arenado bouncing back next year. Well, that's interesting. There are some really good per individual hitting projections for the Cardinals. They love, um, they love Jordan Walker. Um, they love Nolan Gorman. They've got those two guys. At least if you, <laughs> excuse me, if you go by the Zips projections, which is uh, what you'll find uh, from Dan Zembrowski, they're published at, at Fangraphs. Um, and, and I like Fangraphs because they've got them all together there. Steamer, Zips, all these crazy wonky names that, uh, you know, maybe mean something, maybe don't. But if you look at Paul Goldschmidt's projections, and Goldie had not a, gangbuster year last year but a solid year it kind of thinks that uh you know goldie's going to to be around that again this upcoming season and I, I, that would probably be just fine he had a you know he had a 120 ops plus last year in his age 35 season um that's probably fair to expect from paul goldschmidt in his age 36 season right you want something better from from nolan arenado than what you saw last year at age 32 and it's interesting because the projections so far really think he's going to have kind of a year that is not the same as last year, but but not quite um, as good as what we'd seen from him previously with the Cardinals. They're projecting kind of him to be somewhere between what he was, um, what he was at his best and, and what he was what he was as that as, as that last season. And it's more closer to the last season than it is some of his best. Um, none of the projections I've seen have him as an 800 OPS guy um, in, in, in this upcoming season. Some, um, some are down around 730. A lot of them are like 785, um, which look for most guys, you say, sign me up, you know, would love to have a 785 OPS. Um, the fact is Nolan Arenado has had a 785 OPS twice. One was last year in what was one of the worst seasons of his career. One was that terrible final year in in Colorado, and he hasn't had another one uh, in, when it, except for when he broke in as a 22-year-old rookie in 2013. So some of these numbers are, I think, a little con prematurely concerning. I don't necessarily buy him. I, I don't think that there's reason to think Nolan's going to not bounce back from last year. 
but it's interesting that the numbers are are projecting kind of a return to earth maybe for Nolan Arenado as he works deeper into his 30s. And I think part of that, Ben, it's not necessarily a individual, this is where Arenado, this, this is our scouting that points in. I mean, remember, these numbers are plugged in to an algorithm, but I think part of it is that Nolan Arenado is a career third baseman. And Ben, the fact of the matter is third basemen do not age gracefully. And it's because, and and maybe Arenado's um, one of the outliers. There certainly are some. I think Chipper Jones, probably one of those. I mean, he, Chipper played third base his entire career. I don't think he ever moved over to first or, or maybe, maybe he played a little outfield. But Chipper was basically a third baseman. But those cases are few and far between. Now, Scott Rowland, a guy that we knew here in St. Louis, Rowland was always injury-plagued, so he may not be the best example here. But in Arnado's case, Ben, at a very demanding defensive position, those guys just tend to break down. And I think those numbers... Certainly not at those projections, certainly not etched in stone, but I think that's part of the narrative here with Aaron Arenado, and that's why this season's going to be very intriguing because what does, does, is there a bounce back? What does that bounce back look like? Or does last year, it, 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 is last year starting a trend where the decline has begun for Arenado, and how rapid will it be? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the year. Is this going to be a year where he proves he's kind of a Paul Goldschmidt type who's going to take the 30-year aging curve and kind of snap it over his knee? Um, look, Goldie's 36 this season. Like, at, the, at some point, there's going to be a, have to be a reality check. Nolan's entering age 33. Um, you know, Paul Goldschmidt had arguably his best season at age 34. Um, you know, he was putting up 879, 883, 820 OPS is at 31 through 33 before his best season at age 34. So to me, this is kind of a, a season and that is going to define, not define, but it's really going to give a more telling, I think, needle point for Nolan. Last year could have been a one-off. He was frustrated with how the team was playing. Um, there was a lot going on. Is he going to go get traded to the Dodgers? It was a he was pretty candid about his frustrations and he's also been pretty candid about how he's mad that he played so poorly. He, he started changing some things around defensively in his prep and had a, had a terrible for him first year half first half of the year defensively. He made some adjustments and came back and was like one of the best third basemen defensively in baseball in the second half. So I'm going to say, Hey, give this guy an off season to lock in here. And I, I would think we will see more of maybe it's not uh you know, maybe it's not 2022 Arenado where he's he's third place MVP, but I, I would imagine he can get back to more, you know, 2021 all-star Nolan Arenado where he cranks 34 homers and posts 105 RBIs. To me, 30 homers, 100 RBIs is where you want to see Nolan Arenado, at least until he's 35 or, or older. Um, and can he get back there? That's going to be kind of telling. The other thing about the projections on a positive note, the Zips projections are are actually projecting that the Cardinals home run leaders in 2024 will not be either Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. At least for the Zips projections are projecting the, the Cardinals home run leader will be Nolan Gorman with 28, followed by Jordan Walker with 27. Um, there, these Some of these Zips numbers are all over Jordan Walker. They've got him, they've got him really bouncing. Not bouncing back because he had. A, I don't think people realize how good of a rookie season he did have, 
but they've got a real breakthrough performance coming from from Jordan Walker um, in terms of his offense. And I think it's fair to expect him to be better defensively just with more experience. But they've got him slugging 467 with the 122 OPS, um, which would be among one of the highest projected on the team, actually in between Goldschmidt and Arenado. So maybe a big year coming for Jordan Walker if you're buying those projections. I think Walker's numbers, are you're plugging in a lot of his minor league numbers that will count into those projections. For Gorman, he's got you know more of an MLB resume. And Ben, I, I remember yeah. us doing a show last spring where I think we both said in unison, Gorman's figured this out, and we had a we had a month, month and a half sample size to deal with, and Gorman went through his struggles, but last year was certainly better than the year before for Gorman. I mean, he's taking steps. The guy gets on base, strikes out a ton, hits for power, left-handed hitter, not going to hit for average, but I, I mean, count me in the group that thinks Gorman's got 40 plus home run potential if he plays every day and it's going to come with strikeouts, but I think it's going to come with walks and he's going to be a guy that you can play in the infield. If you want, you can DH there's so many things you can do with Gorman that I am not to say we, we don't forget about Jordan Walker and I think he's in store for a great year, but Gorman might be the guy that is ready to go from good major league hitter to outstanding major league producer this year. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. I, I look at his averages um, from 2022 and 2023 and I average him out over 162 games. He's averaging 32 homers per 162 games. He's over 162 games. He's 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 slugging 454. He's only 20. That's through his age 23 season. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's got this guy's got seven seasons to play before he's 30. He had 27 homers last year. I, I don't know that that number kind of because there were so many losses. It was so terrible. Right. I feel like that number maybe went a little under the radar. It's always fun to look back at numbers uh, entering a new season because the the weight of of what the or the weight or the positivity of last season, the negativity or the positivity is gone. And you kind of just see the numbers for for what they are. Um, his average went up ten points last year. His on base percentage went up twenty eight points. His 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 OPS went from seven twenty one to eight oh five. I mean, this guy went from a league average ish hitter as a twenty two year old breaking in to a dude who was you know, 17 percentage points above league average as a 23-year-old. I think he's just going to keep getting better. Here's the thing, though. He's got to play. He's got to stay in the lineup. And I don't care. Like, a lot of the Cardinals are are being very, I guess, understandably cautious about how they're wording this. And, and you know, this idea of like, well, you know, you got to have him keep playing second base. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if Nolan Gorman is going to be a guy who can hit 35 homers in the season, I'm perfectly fine with him being a DH at age 24. And, and and the fact is, you may have a DH for six years, who's could be one of the best home run hitters in baseball, who doesn't just strike out when he doesn't hit homers. And if to me, if if putting him at DH a bunch helps his back and helps keep his back in a way that that can keep him in the lineup, I'm doing it. And I'm playing Brendan Donovan at second base, and I'm not using Wilson Contreras much at DH. And if Wilson Contreras sits occasionally when Yvonne Herrera catches, so be it. But, man, I got a hard time 
not putting Nolan Gorman at DH a bunch if I think it helps his back. And I'm not worried about him hitting. I'm not worried about the left-right stuff. He's a left-handed hitter. Let him hit against everybody. He's going to figure it out. I, I, uh, I'm all about him playing every day, Ben. Whether that's a DH, second base, his bat needs to play. And I think you can bat him fifth or sixth. I think there's scenarios where you can hit him maybe even second in the lineup, you know, mix up that left and right a little bit. But this guy's going to pack a punch if he plays every day. And, yeah, DH second base doesn't matter. Let him play. Yeah, and if and if DH keeps him in the lineup, then play him there a bunch. 100%. And, and, and you actually get better defensively that way because Donovan's a better second baseman. So right. that that's the way I would lean toward doing it and – that's another reason that this we talk about the pitching, we talk about the hitting. You don't find projections on defense, but the more this team can play, Brendan Donovan at second base, Mason Wynn at shortstop, and Tommy Edmond in center field, the, the better they're going to be defensively. And you're going to have Walker in a corner spot. Okay, that's fine. You've got Goldschmidt and Arenado on the corners, and if that's your middle infield, more times than not, I think this talk about the Cardinals losing their way defensively or becoming a – you know, a husk of themselves on the defensive side, I think those are going to go away pretty fast. Hope so. They're going to need to, uh, especially with this pitching staff and uh, better, but not still not exactly a strikeout-heavy um, staff. We'll talk more about that as we uh, get into spring training. Of course, Ben will be down there uh, next month down in Florida. Want to talk some hoops when we come back. Slews at LaSalle tomorrow, Ben. And are we getting closer to the end of the Travis Ford era? Some thoughts. You had a, an interesting thought on your Ben Fred 5 column, online column on stltoday.com this afternoon. We'll mention that when we come back after this. Back to the Big Sports Show with Brendan and Ben Fred on the Big 550 KTRS. Top of the hour, soccer in the loo here on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan and Ben Fred. Slew at LaSalle tomorrow night. A couple of really struggling teams, Ben. If you think Slew's had it rough, LaSalle hasn't been a D1 team at home since early December. It has been tough for that ball club. Uh, obviously, the whispers growing louder about Travis Ford's future. A name you brought up, and maybe not directly tied to Slu, but a name that probably will get bandied about a little bit is Bruce Weber, who's living now here in St. Louis, and his coaching career may not be done if he finds the right fit. I just want to go out there right now and say I don't think that fit would be at Slu. What you got? Well, you hit me with the reason. <laughs> okay, well, the reason why I don't think he'd be the right fit at SLU is because I think this team needs to find a young, up-and-coming coach to come. And, and to be honest with you, I, I I mean, you throw – I mean, there are names out there, but there are a lot of names out there at the lower levels. You can find a mid-major coach. Heck, you can find an assistant on a Division One team that – can come in there and I want to see build slew from the ground up. Not to say that Bruce Weber couldn't go in there and have some success, but I, I think he he might also fall into that category of guys that maybe the game is different than when they coached at their highest level. And the game is evolving. And you've got young coaches that I think can come in and make a name for themselves at SLU. 
and and build something from the ground up. So that's my reason. Are you are you uh, are you on board if uh, if Weber were interested in the job? Um. Well, I think first we got to find out if if Slew's going to make a move here. Um. I I I would be I would have a lot of the reservations. I'm just speaking generically about like hiring a coach who's been out of the game for a while. If yes. you're looking to hire, yes. um. I think Bruce Weber's name is interesting. Uh. Not just because of what we're seeing at Slew. Also, because in some ways, what we're seeing at Missouri State, although I think Dana Ford's team was playing himself into trouble, and they may be playing themselves out. Um, they're on a what a four-game winning streak now, and, they're beating and good perhaps teams. perhaps pulling their 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 nose out of a nosedive. So, yeah. I think it would have to be the like the right fit. Um, and I think I'm not, I haven't talked to Bruce about it. I talked to people in the college basketball who are kind of saying, "Hey, don't forget that Bruce Weber's out there." Which and the vibe is that if the situation was right, he might be looking to jump back in. He hasn't been out all that long. He was at Kansas State um, as late as 2022. It fizzled out, fizzled out on him there. You know, they were just never able to build off of that regular season championship they won in 2019 and three consecutive losing seasons there, one of which was the pandemic, which did no favors to to anyone. And, and I just kind of figured he's done, but He's not that old. I think he's 67. And um, look, if, if he were interested in any job you had, you'd have to take a look. My question would be about NIL um, for him. And my question would be, what do you not? I don't care what you think about it. How are you going to win with it? And sometimes I think these guys, these old school guys who who came up in the non NIL era, they they were basically either really against NIL because they felt like it was an embrace of what they'd spent their whole career coaching against. Or I think there are guys who are for it because they think, well, dang, I spent my whole career trying to play clean and coach clean against guys who weren't doing that. And now it's like, at least now it's all out on the table and everybody can do it. And no one's supposedly going to have an unfair advantage. It's just however much money you can raise to, to, to point toward your players. And, and some guys would embrace that and perhaps be, a little more competitive in that era. So that would be my question for Bruce at any program, if they were looking at him and if he was interested, I will point out though, that like the guy had a lot of success recruiting the St. Louis area, um, including when he was at K state, he got some good players out of the St. Louis area to go to K state. And and I would think that that would be something that if you were thinking about making a change at slew, maybe you'd think about, I, I see the upside in hiring a young guy who's maybe more familiar with the landscape too. Um, I think, I think, you know, there have been programs that have made that, taken that risk and it's looked smart. It seems like SLU over the years has had a very kind of wanted a proven name kind of lean to it, um, which maybe is right, maybe it's wrong, but with Majerus, with Ford, I do wonder if that's kind of where they feel like their safe zone is. But uh, ultimately, I, I still don't know if the tea leaves are out yet on Travis, to be honest. I, yeah. It seems like it seems like uh, there's a lot to decide there. So I just put Weber's name on that, like, keep an eye on that list, because if he wants back in, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if if he gets a shot somewhere because he's a pretty dang good coach with Final Four experience. You've got to listen if there's interest, certainly. But my thing would be, and like you said, it's I think you mentioned in your column that he's 67, he's not 100, but you make that higher – there's there's an end date right around the corner that he's not going to coach forever and is it when he's 73 is it when he's 71 um i mean when i hire a coach i'm hoping i'm hiring a coach for the next 10 plus years and that's 
almost certainly not going to be the, the the case if you hire somebody like Bruce Weber. So I, I'd almost remember when he took over at Illinois. This no knock. Bruce is a, it, it was a tremendous in-game coach, one with Bill Self's players. That was kind of the knock against him. Well, yeah, he took him all the way to the championship game here in St. Louis in 2005. If he Ben, if he had a roster that you knew was coming up, and man, there's some really good players that are about to be on this roster. Bruce Weber could coach those guys up. I'd be excited to coach him. But because we look in the pipeline and there's nothing coming, I'd be a little more hesitant. And that to me is like as much, isn't that as much an NIL question as anything? Um, Cause like if, if you're looking at whether it's Travis trying to build this team for next year or whether it's insert replacement coach name here, is SLU competitive enough in NIL to get some of these guys? Right. And, and look, Travis is not in a spot where he can come out and complain about NIL. Like <laughs> he can say nothing other than he's got to find a way to win games. We know Travis can recruit, right? Like that's not that's never been a knock on Travis. Um, some of the guys that he got, you know, it didn't work out great for Cartier Gordon, but everybody was over the moon when he came there. Look at some of the the players. I mean, Sincere Parker taken out of JUCO. They had, uh, you know, Jordan Goodwin was a big deal when he came. Uh, you know, Jimerson has been a huge player. Travis has done well in recruiting. And it does. I'll just. I'm not. This isn't. We're going to be up against Travis, it here, Ben. For defense, hey, the, the recruiting has fallen off since the NIL era started, and I think Slew's got to figure that out. Appreciate it, sir. We'll um we'll be up against Mizzou basketball tomorrow night. I'll see you uh, seven o'clock tomorrow. Sounds good, man. See ya. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. Wrapping up the hour after this.